This is Morgan Michael, welcoming you to Kindsight 101, the podcast where you'll hear from world-renowned educational leaders about the mobilizing power of kindness, together by challenging our assumptions and venturing beyond the status quo in education, we can make a big impact, one small act at a time. We have a burden, certainly because we chose this profession. And our profession is basically educating the next generation of human beings, of students, you know, children that are going to become our young adults, the, the next generation. And so that carries with it weight that has a certain urgency to it to me. And, and whether they're in kindergarten or they're in high school calculus, you know, to me, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. The reality is this is our one chance to impact them, which then means we have to do the best we can to to live a high positive energy life in front of our students in a positive emotional state as often as we can. We don't win every day, but but to win as many days as we can. I'm delighted to have Dr. Tim Canold, the author of Heart, Soul, and the recent book, Educator Wellness, a co-written book with Tina Bogren on the show today. He is delightful. He is an absolute expert. He not only has written books on social emotional learning and wellness for educators, but he is a former director of mathematics and science. He has served as superintendent in the Illinois district of Lincolnshire, and he has written numerous textbooks on PLCs at work, specifically in math. He's worked on mathematics textbooks. He is an absolute expert, so I'm delighted to have him on the show today. He also runs a number of professional development seminars on mathematics, PLCs, and related to educator wellness as well. Back again for this episode, Tim and I discuss the book Educator Wellness that he co-wrote with Tina Bogren. It is an amazing book and it gives you some really, really helpful, very actionable strategies in terms of some of the things that we can do to bolster our, our wellness as educators. And although it's not rocket science, it is so important to put these things into action. And he does so in such a beautiful way. He explains the ideas in a very clear, effective way. So enjoy this episode. Hey, and one more thing, if you're feeling stuck, frustrated, or feeling a little burnt out, or like you just can't quite reach your expansive goals, I want you to check out my new book, From Burnt Out to Fired Up, Reigniting Your Passion for Teaching, available on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and just about anywhere you get your books. It's actionable, it's research-based, and it will transform your life and practice. Through my five hours framework, you'll learn to reflect, reframe, refocus your goals, reconnect with those around you, and reveal the truest expression of who you are as an educator and as an individual. Just search Morgan Michael from Burnt Out to Fired Up. That's Morgan Michael, M-O-R-G-A-N-E, from Burnt Out to Fired Up to reserve your very own copy today. You can do the book at your own pace or snag a bunch of copies for a staff room book club. The practices are meant to be shared. And if you're looking for inspiring lessons or daily inspirations for yourself, search Small Act Big Impact in Google for my website and for my Instagram pages. I would like to break the book down a little bit and delve into some of the topics around the physical and the mental and the emotional and the social sort of ways that we can bolster ourselves as educators. But when you go into schools or into districts, 
what are you seeing as one of the the number one issues that is concerning for you when it comes to educators and then maybe even the culture of a school right now? Yeah. So, you know, I think what uh, it was really interesting, you know, um, I probably started seeing it around 2015 or 2016. So it's a while ago now where we're doing all this work in schools across the country. Um, I, I did a little, I, I was doing not so much on site in Canada, but I was doing events in Canada. And one of the things that I noticed was um, th- that, and this is way before COVID, but I, yes. I noticed teachers were really raw. They were really on edge. They seemed uh, what we would now say, you know, emotionally exhausted, but, but I felt like they were just, um, I had friends. I have really a lot of really good friends who are teachers and I'd be listening to them at a summer event. We're at our house or something. And, you know, a, a, a kindergarten teacher, literally close friend, literally telling me, I don't know if I can do next year. And she was rock solid. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, if she's feeling that way, what's yes. the rest of them? And so, um, you know, partly that's why and I set out in 2016 um, to write heart. I, yes. I wanted to have a book that would connect for people and help them find find their own story and yes. and then feel like, oh, and then and maybe recover in a way. I hate to say that because it, it sounds like then I, I wasn't there, but I think um, sustain is also a good word. Their, their desire to be in the profession, you know, mm-hmm. and, and their connection in the profession. And, you know, when I wrote that book, the Chapter 12 is about how to avoid what I call the the quadrant three drift. <laughs> what, But the quadrant three is this high negative energy place that I come to work in each day. And I don't think then I thought about it so much as an emotional wellness thing, or and I just thought of it as a energy thing. People are dragging, they're at work and they, the kids aren't getting the best of who we are mm-hmm. because of all these other pressures that we feel all around us. And this is all pre-COVID. Yes. So heart, you know, heart, I think really allowed schools to have book studies in kind of a way. It was a new kind of book. No one had ever written a journal book like that before, as you know, where you That's kind of right. write your own story in it. Yes. But they also found solace in my stories. You know, like yes. there was like, oh, really? You you had that too, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and it's the common and, humanity, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Which I then learned later on is a form of self-compassion. I, th- I think when I plowed into heart, I was just writing from my own center um, as um, as an educator and how I knew we could respond to obstacles and crises. Mm. COVID hit, and that's when I started writing Soul. And Soul's much deeper. I recognize the, uh, the intense obstacles we face and how do we overcome the old part of the book is about obstacles and how we overcome obstacles. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to give people courage about how to um, unify. So that's the you part is about unifying. There's seven chapters on how to create a culture of belonging and validation mm-hmm. and, um, and, and vulnerability and trust and those things, right? Mm-hmm. So that also was getting a response. In the meantime, um, Tina is writing Take Time for You and Self-Care for Educators, Mm -hmm. and she's really following Maslow's hierarchy. So if you follow Maslow's hierarchy, the very first thing that we have to pay attention to is our physical wellness, and which is basically for Tina and I, once we decide to come together to write the educator wellness framework, um, we were like, and, and here was, and here's what I was, because you kind of asked, what was I witnessing? Mm -hmm. 
what what I was witnessing in the schools I was in at the events I would be at and in which it's packed and there's a lot of teachers there and they're coming to your sessions on heart and soul and they're in tears and they're 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 um they're 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 so much they they want to figure out ways to live a more balanced life and high energy life well what i realized is that for a lot of them physical wellness was a struggle yes they, so tina and i have three routines in our framework and they kind of follow that kind of lower level maslow's hierarchy partition mm -hmm. which is food movement and sleep so so i i you know from my obviously from my audience point of view or from, from my witnessing audiences or witnessing teachers and counselors and so on in schools, I couldn't tell the food part, but what you could sure tell was the movement and sleep part sure. and the struggle they were having to sleep enough hours or to feel energized for their day, or, or they weren't moving anymore at all. And of course I had in my own experiences, um, heart, uh, the opening story I tell in heart is being 17 days on the job as superintendent and having a massive heart attack yes. because I'd stopped moving for four years. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we are forced into decisions um, if we don't make better decisions on our own earlier. So so I, I think um, those are the things I was witnessing and, and, uh, and it really made sense to me. I, I felt when we wrote the framework, I told Tina, I said, Tina, how do you, how do you and I talk to people mm about their physical wellness routines when it feels so personal, you know, yes. like, how do you do that without shaming them? Absolutely. Or how do you do that without them feeling like, but look at that person over there. I can never be like them. That's right. One of the things we established early on was that none of this is ever for comparison with others. Yeah. We, we cannot compare our body type or what, how much we move or whatever to someone else. We can only compare it to ourselves and how we feel yes. about you know, whatever those things are. Right. So, so we, we, we were very careful to write about it in a way that showed our own vulnerability with it and our struggles, but then also to, to, um, to give people, I think, a way to strategies to think about how can I practically begin to establish new habits and routines kind of one step at a time. And talk about learning from organizational theory. This is where James Clear and his book, mm -hmm. Atomic Habits, came in. So good. Both of us. And it was funny, um, you know, a funny backstory that I think you know is that uh, when I contacted Tina about writing the Educator Wellness book and establishing this framework, um, we had never met. Mm -hmm. I just read her books and um, uh, I, I looked at a couple of her stuff on things online, like her speaking online. And so um, I called her up sort of out of the blue and said, hey, I've got this idea. Would you like to come in and join me? And we'll work on it together. And, and she was you know, all in from the beginning. But we wrote that entire book and spent 17 months. We never met because of COVID. So we, right. we did it all through Zoom. It was so weird. Yeah. Uh, and at one point, I literally said to her, have you heard of James Clear? And she said, I love James Clear. And I said, have you read the book Atomic Habits? She goes, I love the book Atomic Habits. Yeah. So we were laughing. And, and yet we both had different takeaways from the book, which was awesome because it we had two different lenses that we came at it from. Now, what's established in that book uh, is the way that you sustain new habits. Yeah. And, and also he talks about how to get rid of habits you don't want to have anymore That's but right. but what's but that was important to us because i think it provided a strategy that allows us normal humans yes. to kind of go okay so i, I i'd like 
to run a marathon someday. Well, you're not going to do that tomorrow. Tomorrow, you might just put on your shoes and socks and, yes. and go out to the curb and, and look at the street and then go back in your house. Yes. So you'll take one step at a time yes. and you you establish you know, kind of immediate things you can do tomorrow Yes. Um, that won't take, won't drain you. And you could keep that habit going um, all the way to something you're hoping you, a place you'd like to be a year from now. Right. And that could be for anything, yes. you know? So, so the point being that we wanted to write the framework in a way that had, okay, here's a dimension, physical wellness. Sure. There are three routines that you could actually look at and say, okay, well, what are my food routines? And it's a self-evaluation. So no one's going to judge that. You have yes. to judge it. And then um, what are my movement routines? And what are my sleep routines? And then we provide strategies for improving in all those things. Like it's surprising to me how many people um, actually go to bed uh, with their cell phone mm -hmm. and they'll have their cell phone on. And, and you, despite the research that we have about if you're looking at your cell phone and that screen's hitting you in the eyes, you're not going to fall asleep. Yeah. So, so it's something as simple as what's your 30 minutes before you go to bed routine and yes. how do you actually slow your body down so that when you actually go to bed, you'll immediately go to sleep. Right. So those aren't, you know, I think a lot of people walk <laughs> Walk, read our book or walk out of our, our events and go, man, I know all this, but now yes. I got to go do it. That's yeah. right. And I think right? part of it with, with the habits, you know, I think I love your book because there are so many helpful, um, so many helpful cues and then some really great sort of um, questions and, and frameworks that kind of help you think about this differently. And I think when it's structured and maybe it's just because educators like, sort of a certain amount of routine. Most of us really enjoy the certainty of that, uh, that it, that it kind of gives us an anchor. I think when we're trying to do it ourselves, it can, it can be really nebulous and it can be hard to anchor ourselves to anything. Um, and I also like the element, you know, James Clear talks about tying your identity to, to the change as well. And I think you do a beautiful job of doing that in the book, helping people to reimagine who they can be. And there's something really optimistic about looking forward and, thinking about yourself that way, even if you're not quite where you want to be yet. So I love that. Yeah. It feels hopeful, right? I mean, yeah. I think that's, yeah, that's, and that's what we want. You know, it's like, um, no matter what, where you're at, you know, I've always felt like the best thing we can do is become reflective practitioners. Mm -hmm. And as we become reflective practitioners, that the, that the honest thing to do is to just say, okay, where am I at? And not feel good, not feel bad about that because you're like, oh, I, I know. Um, but rather just say, okay, how do I make, if, if this is where I'm at, then what's my goal? Mm -hmm. And how can I begin to do do, do some things to begin to change that? Right. And, and I do think that um, when it comes to our wellness, especially our, um, you know, our physical and and I would even say our mental wellness, it it does help. There is some evidence that helps to be on the journey with someone, yes. you know, like if there's someone that wants to get in there and do the movement activities with you. If there's someone that wants to say, yeah, um, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll do this kind of, um, you know, we'll, we'll become, uh, you know, buddies in the, in this food and our new food routines that we're going to try or the things we're going to do. I think there's a certain, uh, there actually is, it's not just, I think there's, there is some research about, the benefit of that being a social experience mm -hmm. and um, and getting what is called, get ready for this, a perseverance high. There's a, there's a perseverance high that results in, for example, if you and I collaborated, I, actually, I experienced this with, with Tina. Mm -hmm. When Tina and I worked on writing this book, the Educator Wellness book together, 
I actually persevered through it much differently than I did when I was writing when I was writing Heart or Soul, because when I was writing Heart and Soul, I was the only one really accountable to anything in there. Right. But I had this constant feeling in the background, like of two things. Number one, I did not want to let Tina down. Mm. And number two, um, when you work collaboratively like that, it actually causes you to get what's called the helper's high. You actually feel it's actually hitting brain circuits that make us feel better. Wow. And and so it isn't that funny, um, uh, you know, that that the collaboration part of it and, and thus the social wellness part of it can really be um, effective if you're in a positive relationship with whoever you decide to do it with. You know, like, uh, you don't you don't want to be with someone who's going to drag you down. <laughs> So, so there's, there's that, um, I will say this when it came to the mental wellness, which is our second dimension in the framework, yeah, uh, that was a little bit more of a struggle for us because, uh, for me, I should say, Tina was very insistent mm. and I was more like, man, Tina, how, how do we go about this with, without it feeling like, um, you know, mental illness, you know, and, and, right. and, and we're not, we're not psychologists or psychiatrists sure. you know, or educators writing from an yes. educator's perspective, just trying to help people. So what happened was, thankfully, the World Health Organization came out with a definition of mental wellness. And that definition, which we established in the book, was really helpful. At And it's all part of living optimally. So to develop your own sense of efficacy and confidence. Mm -hmm. and um, And so, you know, I think resting on that, knowing there was that definition of mental wellness that allowed us to come up with three routines, which was, which, which is, you know, is decisions. We we wanted single words, it's decision-making, but we really said decisions, mm -hmm. um, balance and, and, um, and efficacy and the efficacy part, which is about my confidence and my competence to do my job as a teacher comes right out of the mental wellness definition. And, and you can, and think about it. In our, in for you and I, if if we're feeling confident that we can get the job done today, and competent, and we're reasonably competent, we because we know we can kind of feel when I've had bad days in the classroom sure. teaching, and I was just like, oh, my confidence is so bad. You know, I'm, <laughs> on this topic, I, I'm going to need to go learn more, yeah, and which is then makes me more confident to teach it. They they kind of rub each other together, yeah. But so so, what are strategies? And Tina points out, I think. In our book, I had no idea. I didn't know this research. We make over fifteen hundred educational decisions a day. That's right. It's were remarkable. You were you yeah. surprised by that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think so, but I think it also points to why you know many of us are so tired at the end of the day because and why you don't want to make dinner. You don't want to make yeah. a decision around dinner. You don't want to decide what movie to watch that night because you're like. I can't make one more decision. So it's sort of, I mean, it makes sense. It definitely resonates. And I think, I think it's because so many people are asking things of you too. You know, I teach kindergarten. And so you, you have this battery of little people at you all the time asking you to make these decisions and, and demanding things of you, which is part of the job and it's wonderful, but there's also that, you, you know, your, your, your brain is never sort of at rest, right? When you're teaching, right. you're, you're always on. And so it makes sense to me, but it's certainly... I think that part can be exhausting for a lot of people, right? That's why we need that rest for sure. The decision-making. Well, absolutely. And so, and, and if you think about it, decision-making is tied to physical wellness. Cause what are the decisions I'm making about my food? What's the decisions I'm making about movement? What's the decisions I'm making about my sleep? Right. And, and when those decisions, anyone, Tina and I, Tina was, we were doing a, an interview for something and, and Tina was, we were asked the question, 
going back to physical wellness just for a second, was, mm-hmm. um, of those three, which one would you start with if you were going to yes. work on one of them in order to have a maximum impact on the other two? And Tina without even blinking said sleep. Mm. And I was, and I was a little surprised by that because I would have said movement, right? Um, but she said sleep because she said, when that gets right, yes. you make better decisions about the other two. But that if that's so not right, we're just making, we're just getting exposed. Uh, um, I think the feel the burden of all the decisions of the day of all the yes. stuff in front of us. And, and that's our professional life. Imagine too, if we have families and other obligations and, and um, you know, either with older parents or with our own young children or whatever, or, or wherever we're at in the journey, it's a lot. It, yes. it, it, we, we, our profession asks a lot. Uh, yes. of people. When it comes anyway. to balance, what are, what is one thing that because balance can be so, so tricky to sort of maintain. It's kind of an impossible, an impossible thing. You know, they sort of say it's more about life fit than, than always feeling like you're in balance. But what would you say to an educator who is seeking that? Because I find sometimes in the professional development that I do as well, when I ask, what's your intention or what are, what are you hoping to gain from today's session? Many of them are seeking a sense of balance. What's one tip or trick that you would say? So you can't see it. Well, you can see it, but the audience can't see it that I'm smiling because I feel like you just lobbed up a uh, softball and I got to hit it out of the park. <laughs> this is actually right in my, the sweet spot of the work I did both in heart and soul. And then, of course, it, why I was so insistent balance be part of our um, one of our routines. The thing that, you know, here's I'm going to just say one thing that I think brings clarity to it all. And then one great strategy uh, that I would beg everyone listening to this podcast would start to do. And, and, and I, I think if they will commit their lives to it, they'll, it, it's such a simple strategy, but it will make a significant difference. And there's a, and, and I'm, this isn't me talking, this is evidence we have from the, the research that we cite in the book and in other places. So I think the key with balance is recognizing the difference between external balance and internal balance. So external balance means that I, I just try to stop doing less. I won't do my volunteer activity. I'll, you know, I'll, um, I'll, I'll stop teaching at a class overload. Um, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll try to move to a job, which doesn't have quite as many students. You know, you do things that seem to less, um, you know, uh, I won't get the dog because if we get a dog, that's just going to add more pressure to our, to our lives. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop going to the gym because I'm so busy. I'll just, and, and which of course affects other things, but so balance, means external balance means I stop trying to do things mm. and, or I eliminate things from my life, you know, which, um, you, you know, I, th- that just will always get filled up. So external balance is, is not the key. The key is internal balance and internal balance means just simply this, that I will take time every single day Every day. And this is the hard part because people, you know, all of us as educators have to be willing to do this on a daily basis. And we're just going like, when, Tim, when am I going to do this? And I'm like, well, you got to decide this. And what you have to do is what is basically called, um, there's a couple names for it. I call it low, I call it quadrant two time, but, but it's basically low positive energy. It's getting away from the noise of your work. Um, Ryan Holiday, who's wrote a who wrote a book called Stillness is the Key, 
Um, I think it's like in 26 or 27 languages now. It's um, a world famous book. Stillness is the key. But Holiday says, it talks about this idea called quietude. And in the book, he says, look, quietude is exactly what it sounds like. It's an actual word, but it means quiet and silence mm. every single day. And maybe 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Um, I do mine every morning. So when I first get up, I get my cup of coffee. My cup of coffee, actually, James Trigger, uh, James Clear would say is my trigger. I get mm. my cup of coffee, and that means now I go sit in silence because coffee is uh, is associated with that for me in the mornings. And I'll sit outside if the weather permits, inside if it doesn't. Um, in and I I um, I sit strictly ten to fifteen minutes in the silence, mm. and it helps center me for that day. Now I've got prompts I use, and I teach people what, about what those prompts could be. But you don't need prompts; you can just. But you no cell phones, no social media, no noise. You um you have to protect that noise. Mm. I actually had a, a participant in an event I was doing a couple of months ago came up to me and said, I now realize that, that my job as a husband is to protect those 15 minutes of quiet and quietude and silence to protect that for my wife, mm. you know, that, that she needs that in order to be able to make it through her day with our young kids and her job. She's a school counselor, he said, and she's been begging me to allow her to have some of that quiet time. And I've been kind of like, what's the big deal? You know, he said, and and he said, now I realize I have to protect that time for her. And I'm going to do that as her husband. And I was like, wow, that's cool. That, yeah. That's, you know, that, that's, that's a lot of, um, you know, for him, you know, that was a, an aha. And, yes. I, and I think for me, um, I just respect that people have to figure out when they're going to do that. Maybe it's going to be part of their, their bedtime routine. Maybe it's going right. to be, maybe for me, for someone like me, it's morning routine. Right. People have asked me, well, Tim, can I journal or can I do other, like, like, as if I have the magic answer, I'm like, I think you can do whatever you want. You know, yeah. certainly you could, you could, cause if thoughts are coming in your head and you'd like to write down what that is fine, do that. There, there actually is some uh, brain research evidence now that, um, that writing is even a more powerful tool than than talking. Yeah. So I can talk to a friend about it. Or I could, I could have a conversation with my wife or or, you know, my spouse about it, but, um, and that may be really helpful to talk about whatever it's going through my brain, but actually writing things down can even be more helpful. So, um, I even give like, here's one prompt I give somebody to write about if they want, or I'll write about, uh, you know, for 10 minutes, I'll write about, um, uh, what will be revealed today about my character? Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yep. And so then, you know, uh, how will my actions today reveal my character, you know, like, and, and I'll just write about that. And, and that actually helps me be very more, be aware of like, well, how am I responding to people? Am I, um, am I irritated? Am I, you know, so what do I want my character to actually reveal today to others? And, you know, and, and so you can always treat any situation with grace, but you have to, but I don't think that's our default mechanism. There has to be intentionality and what you're building into it oh, is, great word. is that intentionality through the quiet yeah. reflection. And I love that question. I think, I think that's a really important question because it would, it would sort of be in the back of your head as you navigate the day and the various challenges or the successes or, or the, the various things that we do, you know, day to day, especially in the holiday season, right. Where there, you know, feelings can be heightened and all of that. I want to be really cognizant of your time sure. in the 
in this social dimension, can you yeah. give can you give one sort of um, strategy? Maybe, yeah, a strategy or something that that people could use today as they're you know navigating their day that would that would just make things better for them and better for those around them. Sure. So, um, you know, I, uh, this comes from Marissa King uh, uh, in her work at Harvard, but uh, she talks about this idea of being the kind of person in relationship with others that 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 exhibits deep listening. Yeah. And and the reason this is important to me is, again, because I think of this um, era where everything's just these little sound bites. And so how do I really listen to what you have to say versus my brain's racing to think about what I want to say and so on. And she says, well, deep listening really has three components. So this would be a strategy on improving your relationships with others. Um, and relationships is one of our routines under social wellness. Mm -hmm. So so the, the strategy, basically deep listening is um so she, she tells you what deep listening is the three characteristics and i'll tell you what they are and then she to practice she has you ask a person this question so you ask someone this question and you actually have to try to practice the three criteria of deep listening so uh, the first one is that there is um definitely uh a um what is called a visual component, meaning that as you're talking, I, I look you in the eye, I nod, I, I'm affirming things I'm hearing and okay. so on. Uh, the next one is uh, kind of a, a cognitive component, cognitive meaning I'm, I'm really listening, I'm understanding what you're saying. I'm not interrupting, but what I might have is some questions I'm going to ask when it's over what that would demonstrate I actually listened, rather than my brain trying to think how things I'm already going to say and so on. Right. But then she says the third is an ethical component. And the ethical component is that I listen to you without judgment. Mm -hmm. And and I'm like, I never do that. Are you kidding me? I'm mm -hmm. judging what people say all the time in our conversations. I'm like, it, it's just because my brain's already, I'm hearing what you have to say. And my brain's probably going like it, don't like it, good, bad, you know, whatever. And, and so to suspend judgment and just listen to what you have to say without any value attachment to it, but other than to let you just say it, um, you know, is really hard to do. And and yeah. so I think that's the part for me that listening without judgment um, is has been something I'm really trying to work on. So, so the strategy is basically deep listening, deep listeners do three things. They, they have a visual component, they mm -hmm. look you in the eye, they for, you know, kind of, kind of actually what we're doing right now yes. with each other. Yep. Smiling. Yep. <laughs> and then um, two, they they actually try to understand and really really try not to put too many of their judgments. Uh, they're they're um they're just under making sure they could reflect back exactly what they heard you say. Right. And then the third thing is not passing any judgment on it, you know, but rather letting it stand as your thoughts. Um, and then you may ask questions later for follow up. And then the question that she mm -hmm. and then to practice this, her exercise is to partner up with somebody. And say and ask them this question: What is it like to be you today? What wow. is it like to be you today? <laughs> and, wow! And it's such an interesting question, right? Because it 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 doesn't say um, how are you doing. It's what's it like to be you today? And and a lot of people will take that in different directions. Well, I have I have this job, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing that, or you know my 
my grandmother passed away two days ago. And this is, you know, what's it, so what's it like to view today is very referential to the context you're in. Right. Right. So, so what a great wow. question. And, wow. and our job is just to practice deep listening and then, and without, and I make it really clear, like when, when I do this with a group to, to not, um, you know, to not interrupt, you know, just, just really let them speak because when we interrupt, we change the thought pattern that the person maybe wanted it to go in. Yeah. And, and we shouldn't do that to, uh, to someone we're talking to, we should let them finish their conversation. Right. Yeah. Of what they had to say. Yeah. Wow. So this, 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 isn't that great? Me, yeah. Like I just, my mind's blown because I think, gosh, I want to ask my eight-year-old daughter that yes. I want to ask my six-year-old son. I wonder what it would be like if our leaders asked that question more frequently. Do you know, I, that's incredible. Wow. Neat. You, yeah. You know, just real quick. Do you know our colleague, Jasmine Kalar? I she's, don't. Uh, you might, but you know of her. Yes. And Jasmine is in, uh, she's an assistant superintendent in um, Atlanta, Atlanta mm-hmm. area. Mm-hmm. And, um, and Jasmine's part of our wellness team and work right. group. And Jasmine um, it showed a video when you said that just now, I'm like, oh my gosh, you should, and definitely videotape it and maybe videotape it in different eras, you know, yeah. uh, as they get older, it'd be great. But the question she asks her children, and she's been asking them, I guess, since they were quite young, is what are you, tell me what your strengths are today. Mm. Tell me what your strengths are, because she, it comes from her story of, of her, how her parents immigrated to Canada and eventually then to the United States. It's a fascinating story um, because her grandmother wasn't even allowed to go to school because her grandmother was a woman, right? Right. Uh, you know, um, in India. Mm. And so, so the, but, but what, what I love when I, when I watch her asking her kids who are now 10 and 12, that question, it's so powerful to hear them speak with a voice of these are my strengths rather yeah. than these are the things I'm failing at. These are the things yes. I'm no good at. These are the things, you know, like, and, um, and it's such a strength actually of Jasmine's too. So I love, like, when you said that just now, I could totally see you asking your kids that and kind of seeing what they have to say and which is kind of like, what's it, what's it like to be you today? Um, yes. I think those two kind of could go hand in hand. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. I might yeah. try it out on my adult children. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Right. I- at holiday time, what is it like to be you today? And you'll get ready to sit down. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Listen, before I let you go, is there any sort of message or something that you want to tell educators right now, especially maybe if they're feeling sort of overwhelmed by the burden of their role or the day-to-day sort of operations of, of being a human these days, what message do you have for educators right now? You know, I think the main thing I would say is that, um, there we have a burden certainly because we chose this profession and our profession is basically educating the next generation of human beings of students you know children that are going to become our young adults the the next generation and so that carries with it weight that has a certain urgency to it to me and and whether they're in kindergarten or they're in high school calculus, you know, to me, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. The reality is this is our one chance to impact them with our, and our, and we chose a profession that, that carries that weight, which then means um, we have to do the best we can to, to, to live a high positive energy life in front of our students in a positive emotional state as often as we can. We don't win every day, but, but to win as many days as we can. 
And, and with that responsibility, though, I feel like there's this great hope because the hope is in being able to become um, s- someone who can, in that, in the, in those moments of self-reflection, realize what are some of the boundaries they need to set to to take in order to take care of themselves. Because as educators, and I was guilty of this as much as anyone during mm-hmm. is is I I would just do whatever it took always. Mm-hmm. And and I would literally just run myself into the ground by every spring. And and I kind of look back on it now and I was like, I don't think I knew how to have a voice that said, you know what, I know you really want me to be on that committee after school, but I can't do it. Yes. Um, I, I think we have an obligation during our workday to be fully present for our students. But I think we also have an obligation to be fully present for ourselves and to be able to give ourselves, um, I think, a way to daily renew in our, whether it's through our physical activities or our mental wellness activities or the routines that we take on so that we can we can continue to do that. And if you're feeling like, um, I think, overwhelmed by the nature of your workload, then that's something you're going to have to address. You, you have to figure out, well, how do I how do I maximize who I am at work? Um, and find that balance. So, and and even you could argue a boundary is saying to those in your family, um, I am going for a 30 minute walk every day and mm-hmm. I'm going to do it at 4.30 and you guys are going to have to figure out how to get soccer practice. That's right. I'll help you figure it out. I'll, I'll call neighbors. I'll do what I have to do, but I'm not going to let my 30 minutes of walking every day get hijacked where I have a time to let my brain and my body reset a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I... I can't tell you what those things are for you as an individual teacher, but what I can guarantee you is that if you'll do those things, it will allow you to be in a better place on a daily basis. The workload of a teacher never ends. Yeah. So, so if you don't put boundaries on that time, you know, and I guess the last, you know, then, then you end up feeling like a martyr. Right. And the last thing I'll say is this, is that um, I, I think, you know, I I can't emphasize enough the importance to not work in isolation, mm-hmm. but to work in collaboration and let other people help share the load that you have, mm-hmm. because different people are in different seasons. You and I could be working together and you could just be in a season where, I don't know, a, a, a close family member, somebody has cancer and you just need to really give a lot of your time to, and I'll pick up some of the share of your load then for a while. Mm-hmm. And you'll probably end up doing that for me later on. And, and, and having, having that kind of backdrop and kind of um, collaboration and companionship is really important. I think to our profession, to doing our job really well and not um, I think feeling like you've got to carry the whole thing all by yourself. So those would be my piece of advice. Amazing. Thank you for that. Thank you for this conversation. I feel inspired and I feel uplifted and I feel excited. You know, I I'm excited for my break, but I'm excited to get back in the classroom. I think that, uh, there's so much wisdom in this book and all of the work that you've done with heart and with soul and my goodness, all of your expertise. So thank you for your service to educators. And I can't wait to meet you in person someday. I know we're going to make it happen eventually, right? You bet. If you think that I'm doing good work here and you'd like others to get inspired and join our 21 day kindness challenge and movement, I'd love it. If you would take a minute, head over to iTunes and leave a review. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of Kind Sight 101, the podcast. 
For links to resources mentioned in this episode, visit smallactbigimpact.com and click on our podcast and choose this episode number. Now, I would love to hear from you. What's the biggest insight that you gain from this conversation? Head over to our website, smallactbigimpact.com, leave a comment on our podcast page, or tag and connect with us on social media with the hashtag smallactbigimpact to share your inspiring story of kindness. Can't wait to hear from you.